0: Welcome to Filmstrip Sessions, the general entertainment show from us at Filmstrip Podcast. I'm Jay, and our topic here on this edition of Sessions is modern film criticism. We were kicking it around among the group, and we decided, you know what, let's go ask some folks outside of us to comment on that a little bit. So Ron invited his friend Simon Brew from Film Stories uh, podcast and the Film Stories and Film Stories Junior magazines, previously Den of Geek, uh, to sit down and have a conversation with us about his career and sort of uh, film criticism and film critiques and podcasting and lots of other entertainment stuff. We talk a lot of Kevin Costner there, a lot of fun things. If you know Simon and follow his show, uh, that won't be a surprise to you. So we had a great conversation with him. And then I had a chance to have a conversation with Mike from the Amateur Arturist podcast. I've had a chance to be on That show a few times, and Mike uh, was on our uh, November 2019 review of *The Sound of Music*, and to get different perspectives, uh, you know, on where we are as a film community and film Twitter and uh, you know the Potter and family and all that kind of stuff. And I think we had two really good discussions here. I think you'll enjoy uh, our time with each. So uh, we're gonna go right into the interview here with Simon Brew, and you'll hear Ron and I talking with him, and then there'll be a little chime sound in between uh, where you'll know we're switching interviews, and then you'll hear me and Mike from Amateur tours talk for a bit and i'll be back at the end to uh, wrap up with some final thoughts so without further ado here's our first interview he is the mad genius
1: behind film stories the podcast film stories the magazine film stories junior probably a film stories television series at some point uh, if he can get his hands on it he will he seems to be willing to give it a try And he is one of my absolute all-time favorite people, Uh, one of the best people in the world, a genuinely great gentleman who is a much more handsome version of Paul Giamatti, uh, Mr. Simon Brew.
2: (laughs) Meanwhile, back on Earth, uh, I I mean, I appreciate the introduction, but by Lord, that's a good bit of fiction there. Now, I'm just a boring nerd from England um who's drinking wine am i should i confess this at this point i mean (laughs) should should we get the wine in early (laughs) um so anything i say that makes me sound even more profoundly stupid than usual over the over the coming discussion i blame the very cheap wine that i got from the shop at the end of the road
0: so i wanted to start
2: the conversation with is someone who is a seasoned veteran
0: in the film critique and film your community (laughs) How did you get you know, to Den of know. Geek and then from Den of Geek to Film Stories?
2: Uh, see, see I, I, I'm not a seasoned veteran in, in, uh, a critic or anything like that, really. What what I said right at the start actually holds true, that I'm, I'm just a nerd in a room and that's it. And I, I, I think I've known Ron a long time now. I've known his beard even longer. And <laughs> I, I, I think the the only thing really that's got me through, what I've been doing this now for, in various guises for what about, 10-15 years now around it must be something like that and i was doing computer magazines before that i i just keep going really that i i've had this i have had i've had the highs i've had the lows and um I, and come what may I, I don't think i'm the best at what i do but i think i'm tenacious and irritating and I, i'm I, th- those two are generally quite good qualities for doing what we're doing so um i i had a background in doing magazines always loved magazines was doing computer magazines for a while, did some games console stuff. I wrote um, a fan guide to Justin Bieber once. That's true. Um, you didn't ask, but damn it, that's the answer you're getting. Um, Denner Geek started, I had the idea for it about three, four years before it actually happened. And it, it started when I was working for a company called Dennis Publishing, And I was working on computer magazines. They had, uh, they they were playing around with just trying to get some um, some some new internet technology going. They built this content management system to power websites, and they were looking for ideas of websites to do. And so I kind of saw my chance there. Um, And so just just we we, a couple of us started it. Ron knows Sarah Dobbs, who I, I I started it with. And um and, and we just built it really, and all of our mistakes were in plain sight. And I think for the first six months, a year, we we're kind of finding our feet a bit. Some things were good, some things didn't quite work out as well. Um, but then we just kept coming, we just kept coming, and we just kept coming, and we just built it up. And I mean, it, it, it's always had an ethos at the heart of it. Uh, the ethos at the heart of everything that I try and do is readers are more important than clicks. And so um, just kind of listen to readers and when they didn't like something, just like, oh, OK, fair, fair do's, you know, it's an innocent mistake. Let's try something a bit different. And so that was really the genesis of Den of Geek. And I did that for 11, 10, 11 years, came out of it. It wasn't the happiest of endings, really, but no one gets the ending they like. So fair enough. Um, came out of that two years ago, thought I've got a uh, summer of 2018 and thought I've got to kind of I was going through a, a pretty rough period. I lost my mum fairly quickly. Um, job, job was in transition. I thought I've got to have something really just to kind of secure my head a little bit. And so I just sat one night with um, my battered laptop, the same laptop I'm, I'm using there, um I, I got a cheap microphone and I just recorded half an hour of me waffling about film, put it out there. And it, it, just, it was just pure, really. And any, anyone listening to this can do it. You can put your pure version of it out of what's in your brain, what you think about film. And a couple of hundred people listened to it. I was just I, I was mesmerized by that, really, because I thought this was really, It sounds terrible, really. But it, it was a very selfish thing for me to do. It was, a, it was an act of self-care doing a podcast talking about films. And um, and at, at that point, I could have walked away from it and just kind of moved on, really, that it had done a little bit of what I needed it to do for my head. But then I just kept going. And when you keep going at something, when you come back every week, you invariably learn on the job. I mean, I was a complete podcast novice. I still use Audacity, which is a free piece of software and anyone can use that. And I just kept coming back week after week after week, um, telling the stories of films. And I, I I do think that if you are the kind of irritating person like me who 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 just gets themselves into a this has got to happen, and, and do it. You just give yourself a fighting chance. And then off the back of that, um, I launched the assorted magazines that I've done. But it was that simple. At the heart of it and I kind of think if I if I sat there and thought well that that night when I was recording uh stories of the the Adams family and Tomb Raider which is what it was if I'd have thought well uh, if I do this all of this stuff is going to happen I'd never have done it no I, I didn't think of it strategically in that sense or anything like that I just talked as you probably worked out I, I do talk a little bit what one of the things for me now uh, as, a, as a boring old person you know, I kind of think you're demystifying things and and getting across the fact that they're incredibly reachable is really important. And so, if there is someone listening to this who's thinking, could you know, could I start a, a podcast? It's just like, well, have you got a rubbish laptop? Does it have a microphone in it? And can you download a free piece of software? There you go. That's it. That's your technical barrier now. Mm-hmm. Very true.
0: So okay, why did you hire this scraggly dude? Because that's what I want to know.
2: <laughs> well, I did more than that. As uh, he came to, he came to the UK once, and I bought him curry. Um, sure did. And, it was and, delicious. And, yeah, it wasn't bad, was it? Um, and um, we 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 had quite a chat um, because it's the other thing as well, isn't it? It's it, 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 appreciate you asking the, the the question in in a jokey way because he's a really good writer, and that's it. Really, that that's the yeah. kind of criteria. I didn't know any background to Ron. I didn't know how old he was. I didn't know how bearded he was. Turns out it's very. Um, I didn't know what his experience level was. I just read some of his and just thought I oh, was really good. Uh, and that was it. That's where it started. So as simple as that.
0: So, Ron, up from your end of things, of being a writer and then transitioning from writing into the podcast medium, what has that been like for you just in terms of writing about film and television and all these things for a number of years? Is there a big difference for you? Um, it,
1: it can be. Uh, it, fundamentally, there's not a huge difference in it in that I still am watching things for the same reasons. I'm still taking notes. Uh, I'm still trying to get thoughts organized prior to sitting down to record the podcast. But uh, with the podcast, I find I, I worry a lot less about how I say the things I say. Uh, so it's <laughs> a little bit easier for me <laughs> because I don't agonize over the same paragraph for 45 minutes. <laughs>
2: I I think I think there's a there's a point in there, isn't there? Because, Ron, when when you were doing stuff with me on Den of Gee, you were reviewing a lot of TV shows, including some quite contentious episodes of TV shows. And if you put out an opinion that was not part of the hive mind, that in some way the hive mind disagreed with, you got instant pushback on that. And I think we saw that grow over a period of time. Would you say that?
1: Yes, we it was definitely something that I noticed personally increase uh, and not necessarily as the Den of Geek audience grew, because you guys, you you and everyone else worked really hard to try to keep the comment section uh, friendly and uh, relatively productive uh, and not just a troll fest. But at a certain point, there's only so much you can do when you're getting, you know, Who knows how many numbers of people reading everything that's that gets put out. And especially if you do something that at the time had a lot of uh, cultural cachet like Game of Thrones, for example, or The Walking Dead. And, you know, those were comment sections that tended to not go in no matter how well uh, moderated they might have been.
2: And the thing is, with something like Game of Thrones is you're expected that you're expected to be an absolute expert on every facet on that. I noticed that from people writing about it. And I I kind of tried to puncture that a little bit once because I I just wrote an article um, where where I just I just said I don't I've watched five seasons of this and I'm enjoying it. But I wish I knew who everyone was. I wish they could all just wear name badges or something like that. Um, because it's really hard to to lose track of who's who. And obviously on a practical level they couldn't wear name badges because they didn't have any clothes to pin the name badges to. Um, but conversely, yeah. there's a, a background I do I do think it's fair if you're reviewing a TV show that, to expect some degree of, of background of knowledge once a show's got to like season three, four, five or something like that. But no one was allowed to say actually Game of Thrones is really quite tricky to follow. And I sort of found it tricky to follow. I certainly couldn't write about it with any conviction really my hat went off to you there well, well thank you uh thank you very much it <laughs> what for, it, for throwing you under the bus and making you write about it instead it's an absolute pleasure Ron. <laughs> i'll do it again <laughs> tape on for the team that's what we say uh, I had fun with it, you know. As- no, I know, and your and your writing was, was really good. I just, I just, the, the the other thing is when when we're talking about writing and discussing films, is is admitting fallibility is just seen as a bad thing, isn't it? And I, I just, I just call BS on that. Really, there is a, a, a sphere of things that I just could not write about, and Game of Thrones was one of them. And you could, and it's just like, just leave it to the person who can. Don't pretend you're something that you're not. Um, and and yeah, I I. Because you did Walking Dead as well. I couldn't write about that either. I could I mean Doctor Who was the TV show I covered and that was a struggle sometimes because I, I'm not a walking encyclopedia on Doctor Who. I just watched it for a long time but those are two very different things as well.
3: What's
0: it like to tackle something like that knowing that there is this fan base that has not only a, a wealth of knowledge that you want to try to tap into, but you also have this wealth of expectations to maintain as well?
2: I wrote. I write about most things with no expectation that anyone will read them, um, and I don't say that as a churlish comment. I'm, um, nor am I, I, I trying to shoot my own knees out here. But I, I, when I'm sat there writing about something, I, I can't. It, it has to work for me first, and I, I know this sounds quite pretentiousy and stuff like that. Um, but he's always a surprise to me, genuinely, when someone reads something and reacts to something that I've written. And so when I was writing about Doctor Who, I mean, sure, I, you know, it got to a point where I was conscious that there was an audience who was quite vocal about it. But conversely, I couldn't write with that in mind, which is, uh, I mean, it's easier said than done sometimes. Um First and foremost, I just had to write it the same way I'd always written it. It's just like, what do I think? Because if it's a, a review or a piece with my name on it, then I, I have to have authorship of that. I have to have ownership of that. I have to say, right, well, this is genuinely in my heart of hearts what I think. Now, the one concession I'd say with Doctor Who, because it is an imperfect world, um, is that I would put up a review and I would read the first 10, 20 comments or something that came in and just say, Have I missed something like really blaring? I have that insecurity as much as anyone else has that insecurity. And I'd never, in the end, change something, but I would think about it. If people were pointing out stuff, um, say, Well, actually, no, that happened, that happened, that happened. Then, um, they, then I'd consider it. Certainly, that insecurity would run very keenly through my head. And by the last season, I was doing it. I was uh, there's a, a, a really uh, expert, well, a Doctor Who expert and a half, and a really good writer, a guy called Pete Dylan Trenchard, who was writing companion pieces on Doctor Who on the site at the same time. He was writing a, a spoilery article to go alongside, and I, I would send him. the the thing that I'd written about because we were at one point getting early access to the show. And so I'd send him something that we'd written. I was just like, have I missed anything there? And he did spot once and it really would have caught me out. An absolute massive glaring thing that I'd missed. And I know that if that had gone up in my review with a big glaring thing that I'd missed such a fundamental thing in there, and I'm grateful to Pete for spotting it, then I would have been open for ridicule left, right, and center. I mean that is the price you pay for putting your name out online. I don't go into pseudonyms or something like that. So I would imagine I would have taken a little bit of damage off the back of that. But conversely, um, it's a review of Doctor Who in the scheme of things, and it was an honest review of Doctor Who as I saw it. At the point where I watched it and I don't think anyone's perfect and I, I'm not very good at pretending to be perfect, really. I've long since given up on that. So that's a really muddled answer to a, a question that's that's really hard to to come up with a, a, a very succinct and, and straightforward response to. And I'm conscious that, you know, you, you've got listeners here who might be thinking of putting their name out there, who might be thinking of writing their words, who might be thinking of recording their podcast and trying something. And I, I would say, I mean, that I, I went into a lot of this, um, the more I was doing it with my eyes open. But if you, if, if you first and foremost do it true to you, I do think that is the best starting point.
0: You know, you're you're writing stuff that you're passionate about. You're talking about things on Film Stories podcast that you're passionate about. But there's also the awareness that like, okay, other people are going to consume this in some way. So how do you maintain that balance of I'm going to be true to myself and sort of my voice versus I know that people want to hear me talk about this,
2: that or the other? I don't. I don't at all. I don't try and maintain that balance. Um, Not on the podcast. The podcast is me talking about films. If you go back to episode one of what I did with the podcast, it's the same as I'm about to put out something like episode 108, 109. And it's still exactly that same ethos. I get really interested in stories of films. I record myself. Um telling stories of films, I would put the podcast out, and it's that and that's not being disrespectful to the audience of the podcast because I'm massively appreciative of it um genuinely i i mean that the, it's been a bit life changing really but um, in terms of the mechanics of putting the podcast together, it is exactly the same as it was. I think technically it's slightly better, but I think it's exactly the same as it was, the ethos behind it when I started it. The fact that it's got more of an audience now, I I can't think of that when I, when I'm doing it. I don't think that would be truthful or fair of me to do that because it is just one nerd talking of stories of films. And if I'm suddenly thinking I'm doing a podcast, I don't know, on – on. I, I mean, I, I I love the film Congo, for instance, which I've not done yet, but I'll come to eventually. I think it's an absolute flat-out hoot. But if I sit there and, and think I'm going to do the story of Congo, but – no, that's going to be listened to by a lot of people. And what are they going to think? It's just, like, And then it starts changing the story. And that goes against what I'm trying to do in the first place. So uh, to answer your question du- d- quite directly and bluntly, I guess, um, I don't balance it. I make no effort at all to balance it. I don't know how you find it, Ron.
1: Well, I don't actually make an effort to balance it either. I just say the things I feel like I need to say. Uh, talk about the things that I would talk about if I was just talking to you or Jay about whatever it was I just watched. Uh, you know, I just I can't weigh the needs of an audience uh, against my own writing because if I if I even tried to do that, my brain would leak out of my ears because uh, you know you can't please everybody and, and you'll go crazy if you try to. And there's always going to be someone, no matter what it is, it could be the best movie tv show podcast that has ever been it could be a unanimous critical darling and there's going to be one person who's going to pop up and say oh that thing sucked and you suck for liking it so you just can't let that i, I can't let that way in my mind which is one of the reasons why i stay out of comment sections but i will say that having uh supportive people around you like have like the the anecdote simon told with pete Having supportive people around you to be a second set of eyes or to pay a little bit of extra attention to what you're writing or to catch things that will trip you up and and ruin any sort of uh, positive you might have to your words is is a great thing because just on the first – the the review I did of the first episode of the third season of Westworld, throughout the entire review, I got uh, Evan Rachel Wood's name wrong. I, I reversed Evan Rachel and Rachel Evan. What, what's her name? Evan Rachel Wood. It, yeah,
0: it is Evan Rachel Wood.
2: Yeah. And I'm no still getting. Helping you out here. No nobody's helping. With
1: you. it now, yeah. and and I miss my supportive. That support I was looking for was not there. <laughs> no, you're not getting it
0: from me, Ron. Crikey, too much water <laughs> under the bridge there. That's fabulous, though, and I appreciate both of you saying that because I listened to a lot of podcasts before I ever got into trying to produce one and put one together and I still listen to a number of them today and I maintain friends with a lot of different podcasters and they, you know, they kind of cover the gamut of how they approach this thing and some are almost dare I say scientific with it with how much research they do and how they structure stuff and some for their whole release schedule and all that and then some uh, are doing what I, I dream some of, of I'm just wrong. sitting down and going well today I'm going to talk about this and, today I'm going to talk about Congo, buckle up, folks, yeah, yes, yes, I love it, but I love the the idea of the freedom of that at least because I think that is so pure. and
2: I wanted to ask you Simon, do you edit your show at all? a little bit. A little bit. Um it, it kind of depends. Uh I, I, I don't go over the I, I don't go over the top with it, certainly. Um, but I I, I flub lines from time to time. Um the, the kids wonder in the background and you can uh, it's one of my favorite bits of um my, my favourite bits of feedback I had is someone sent me this really polite note and said, I really like your podcast. Can I make three suggestions for it? Number one is could you please get a chair that doesn't creak? Number two is could you turn the volume down on your face? number three is could you send the kids to bed earlier and it's just <laughs> like yeah i i i hear that but i edit little bits like that out and then um if i if i fumble a little bit i'll swear loudly into the microphone i'll edit that out i've not let one of those slip but it's very lightly edited really uh it's kind of uh, because mine is is telling a historical story of film i have to do the research first. So what what you get is me recording for about 45 minutes, uh, an hour, something like that. But th- there's been a good few hours of research before to find the stories that I'm going to do. Um, and to put a rough script together, I do roughly write out what I'm going to do, and sometimes I misread it or get the order wrong. Like, ah, yeah, rah, 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 and then I edit that. But that's it. I've done some live interviews as well, which have come in the after, uh, in the slipstream, really, of it of it slowly taking off. And I've interviewed filmmakers and stuff like that. So there's a little bit of editing in there. But again, I, I'm a rank amateur when it comes to this. I, I'm still poking around Audacity and swear I swear at Audacity a lot. You know, and Audacity is a perfectly fine piece of software. It's just I'm an incompetent. And so I I do little bits in that um, when I've got an interview one to do. But other than that, no, not really. Um, I'm not really that good an audio editor as anyone who listens to my podcast would happily attest. One of your
0: more recent episodes, you released an interview you did with Jason Blum. Uh, yes. Founded Blumhouse. And I, I found that fast. I find him fascinating. And that well, whole. He's just
2: good. He's just a house. good conversation, isn't he? And yes,
0: I- it was. And that's what I wanted to ask you was you took such a different approach from what I would consider the sort of the standard interview he gets. And it seemed like to me that he really kind of got off on that and enjoyed just having that. Back and forth with you, and the little pushback that you had on, you know, the budgets and stuff like that. What was that like in person
2: to be a part of? In person, it was great. I I think it came across as if we might have had a falling out. uh, If you're listening to it cold without the context, but again, I thought, well, that's a you know, that's that's a depiction of of how it was. Now, in person, it was great, and I I'd met him once before that I'd intro a screening of The Purge: Anarchy, which is the finest of the Purge films. I think it's a really good film, The Purge: Anarchy. And I'd been explicitly told by the PR rep beforehand, you know, just mention the films that he'd done, but don't mention Tuth Fairy. I was just like, what? Well, hang on, there's no way I'm not mentioning Tuth Fairy. And so I went and did an intro and said, here he is, the producer of this film, this film, and Tooth And there he is just killing himself laughing in the background. I was just like, yeah, I think I, think I could get on with him. Um, but it was, I mean, he, he is just a really good conversation uh, and that 's what I try to do i I kind of tell um, young well not not all not all young new writers coming through that if you 're doing an interview, you get like 15, 20 minutes. Have a question for every minute of that interview, and then the ideal interview is you get to the end and you 've barely read any of your questions because you 've just got into a conversation i think that 's particularly true with podcasts as well and so um it was it was just that we we sat and had a chat. And I do try and look at what questions people have been asked beforehand. And I do try and not ask those. I mean, most of the interviews I get tend to be related to an upcoming or or immediate release or something like that. So I I do one or two questions about that. But I'm kind of interested in where they sit in the film ecosystem. It's just like, what, what, what films are they interested in? What's their story? I think with Jason Blum, he failed for a long time, which is one of the things we talked about in the interview that he, he went for several years trying to get stuff moving and it wouldn't work. And he just kept going. And I just thought, well, that's a far more interesting story, really, than trying to dodge around spoilers of The Invisible Man, which was the film we were talking about. So we talked about that a little bit. But I kind of, I, I said to him afterwards, I'm sorry, I know I didn't talk about the film much, but I don't want to spoil it. I think it's a film that's easily spoiled. He's just like, no, nope, that's exactly what I was just like. Well, that's great. So again, like most of these things, it's not actually tricky. It's it's have a look at where everyone else has gone and just throw in a couple of questions where they've not gone. And if the person you're talking to goes with that, that's great. And if not, you've got your clipboard full of questions you can go with anyway.
0: Okay, okay. To that note, can I just uh, get two minutes on the brilliance of Kevin Costner in Open Range because it's my favorite oh, film of his.
2: Well it's not his best film, but nope. I, I'm, I'm I'm quite happy to have. Uh, I'm quite happy to accept that Open Range is absolutely brilliant. I am, I um, really quite scary Kevin Costner fanboy. And I think of the films that he's directed. As much as I love *Dances with Wolves*, I think *Open Range* is is outstanding. I really think it's great. I think the casting of him against Robert Duvall is terrific. I think the shootout is just amazing. It's the most rank amateur shootout really but deliberately so and we you you watch westerns sometimes you you just get these really perfect um re- really perfect shootouts although my favorite um my favorite of the spaghetti westerns is, is the middle one for a few dollars more just because the silent shootout in the middle of it and i know it's not the one you're supposed to love the most but you know it is the one that i love the most because that shootout and it's amazing but open range where they just they're just firing these guns are just missing You know, just uh, uh, not in a kind of movie way missing. It's just like they look like they've barely fired a gun in their life. I think Open Range is outstanding. His best film is Field of Dreams. I'd probably put um, Beans, as you didn't ask, um, as you didn't ask what his second best film is. I'd probably go The Untouchables. Then I'd probably go JFK and then I'd probably slot Open Range in fourth. But 13 Days is the one no one's seen that is just amazing. Amazing! A movie star at the top of his powers, using his clout to get thirteen days made. That—that's my Costner fanboyism in a sentence, really. Oh, know, and tink I... Tinkop, the mm-hmm. best rom-com of the nineties. is amazing. Kevin Costner, and Rene Russo—that's perfect. That's it's a great, great performance.
0: Yes, it, was, it's a, it took it's, a lot for him to say, "I'm going to be this peripheral character," and let everybody else really. Well, he was due them. to direct it.
2: It yeah. was originally in line to direct it at first because I, I, I was lucky enough to interview Roger Donaldson a year or two ago. And so uh, we were talking about one or two of his other films. That was the point of the interview. But I got it onto No Way Out in 13 days. And uh, I, No I, Way it, Out? Oh, yeah. Well, No Way Out is great, yeah. isn't it? Ooh, I, I love mean, that a, movie. Yeah, yeah, but you can't talk about No Way Out because you spoil it. And, and <laughs> yep. all, all, all you have to say is, is if you like brilliant thrillers, No Way Out is great. And, it, and it's filthy as well. I mean, that's the other reason people watch it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's part of that 80. There was a, a time in the 80s and 90s where the adult erotic thriller wasn't on the
2: Lifetime channel. And it, it was in cinema. Well, yeah, the Lifetime channel is, is is what? that That's where you Americans put all their porn. Is that right? Well, <laughs> Ron, what would you call a Lifetime channel? Go on, channel? Ron. We've come to you for the <laughs> porn question, clearly. I saw how definitely just referred to you on that. You know <laughs> all about porn, Ron. Tell us what your favorite channels are. Oh, well, Lifetime <laughs> is... is
1: um... there's, there's a joke
0: moment, by the way, Ron. You win
1: i didn't do it simon did it i can't take credit for someone else's work just like every time i rattle off some facts i learned from film stories i have to mention when we record our podcast i stole all this from simon yes i
2: noticed how you've avoided the question there though ron but fair days. i was getting
1: around to the question thank you sir
2: your honor yeah i understand (laughs) if it please the court
1: um (laughs) basically if you took all of the um more salacious content out of the uh, out of a Sharon Stone movie but you kept the plot.
3: Okay. Yeah, that's
1: basically what a lifetime movie is. <clears throat> like if you excise the the nudity and the most of the sex and um any extreme violence, but you kept a little mild violence. You okay. know, you can shoot someone or stab them, but you can't like saw <clears throat> their head off or, or smash them to death with okay. something. Yeah. That's um, basically what a lifetime movie is. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, as I was saying, I think Tim Cup is a really great rom com. <laughs> it's just, yep, yeah, terrific. I love it. Yes. Love your Costa <laughs> movies. <laughs> but yeah, but that's,
0: I think that's what's so much fun about your science and your show, Simon, is that you will stump for and put over stuff that. Others I don't know cinema fans may go like, eh, that's not really what you know you should enjoy, and I think it's fun as a movie fan because I'm just a movie fan, I'm not a cinephile or anything like that is i I like what I like and I like to watch other people really talk about stuff they love, and I think your love of geostorming and, and all things Kevin costner are just permeate this this show, and that's that's great to see
2: Gee, I yeah I, I mean I, the, the thing is it comes back to I I, I think a lot of people have been intimidated against putting um their, their opinions out into the world because unless they conform to roughly what everyone else thinks, you're 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 just asking for trouble. That's the perception, and I think there's some truth to it as well. If you were to come out after Avengers Endgame, for instance, and 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 put a, a proper construction of why you thought I don't know that's a three star film, isn't it? Um, that the backlash you would get for that would be pretty insane. You're seeing it with birds of prey at the moment. It's such a polarised collection of of opinions. And I I think what, what it builds towards, if we're not careful, is an ecosystem where critics and and people who just want to talk about films are are coming through and scared to say what they actually think and justify what they think because the degree of pushback is just sometimes just not pleasant and so you you mentioned geostorm i I went to see Geostorm and I had an absolute blast with it and I can see the problems with it and I agree with lots of the problems with it did it make it any less enjoyable to me? No. And, and the reason I go quite hard on Geostorm is I had so much fun. And it's just uh, by by me, I, I don't see why I shouldn't admit that. I don't see why I shouldn't say that. I'm not trying to bully you into liking it if you think it's the most terrible film ever. But I had an absolute blast with that film. I thought it was so entertaining, so ludicrous and so wonderful in so many ways that I just thought, well, that's my honest opinion. I'm putting that out there. I would say about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I might have been a bit shyer about doing that as well. I might have been a bit more, you know, a, a bit more cautious because, oh, Lord, you know, I might be the Geostorm guy. What, what, What's the backlash of that going to be? But I was just like... No, I honestly really think it's an absolute hoot of a movie. Bring on the sequel, as far as I'm concerned. I would have a Geostorm film every year, and I'd be quite happy. You can have all your Marvel films. I like Marvel films. I'm not punching down on them or anything like that or punching up. They're way above me. Um, But Geostorm's a hoot. I, I maintain that. Also, if you've got any kind of interest in the in the work of Gerard Butler, do check out a film called The Vanishing, which virtually no one saw, which is set up in... It's set off um, the coast of Scotland, and he's a lighthouse keeper, and Peter Mullins in it as well, and there's three of them in the lighthouse. And I don't want to tell you any more, short of the fact that It's one of those films that because it went pretty much straight to DVD and streaming services has been forgotten. I thought it was it was really, really, really impressive. And it's well worth checking out.
0: Simon, is there a filmmaker that you think, hey, if I could tell people to pay more attention to this person and their work right now, who would it be?
2: Uh, I wouldn't. What I'd do is I would champion a a collection of films, if that's okay, that I don't think had the light shined on them particularly. So in the UK, we had a film called Pride, which is directed by a a man called Matthew Warchus, who's um, hugely successful in theatre over here. He's just, um, and he directed the Matilda musical, which is shortly to be turned into a film. Pride is one of those films which, from the, it wasn't well sold in America, actually. They stripped away um the fact that it was an lgbt uh story and it's a very British story in lots of ways, but it's incredibly funny and incredibly moving. And it's an absolute blast of two hours. And it's one of the best films I've seen over the last decade. I think it's a film came out, Blinded by the Light, um, which is sort of based around the music of Bruce Springsteen. And again, that's quite a British story, directed by Gorinda Chadder, who did Bend It Like Beckham. And she's got a, a back catalogue of films that's really interesting and well worth digging out. But I would look at films like that. And what I'm spotting, particularly through the Film Stories Project, is there are a lot of filmmakers who are making really impressive films. Wild Rose came out, same director as as the Aeronauts, actually. Um, Wild Rose, terrific film. But getting these films noticed is harder and harder and harder and harder. And so to answer your question, I think in the current climate, there is an abundance of brilliant filmmakers who are really struggling through no fault of their own to get noticed. They are making the kind of films that if they had come out 10 years ago, uh, 10, 15 years ago, there would have been noise around them. Them and they would have been lifted as a consequence of that. But now these really interesting and really entertaining and really mainstream entertaining films are coming out and they're just not hitting. And they're not getting quite what they deserve. Even Rocket Man, I thought Rocket Man was a, was really something. But that did what a quarter of Bohemian Rhapsody numbers because it was willing to go to slightly darker places than Bohemian Rhapsody. So you've got this wealth of films um, that that just need people like yourselves really just to champion. And I would say to anyone listening, this who's got a voice, who's got any kind of outlet, if you find a smaller film. Um, that doesn't have a superhero in it. And again, I'm not knocking superhero films, just they've already got their champions. Just, Just be the person who bangs the drum for it. You know, be the person who goes out there and says, "Just, just watch it. Just try it. Just try." And you know, there's a film. There's one. I mean, it hit reasonably well in America. It hit reasonably well over here. But again, it just seems to have just trickled away. Called "Instant Family." Did you see that one? And and they sell it as from the director of "Daddy's Home." And with no disrespect to "Daddy's Home," you ain't getting anything like that when you get "Instant Family." And there's this, this, this really this film just full of heart full of humanity it's very funny as well but boy does that have a core of steel to it and so i i choose to answer your question by basically championing whatever i, I think i mentioned four or five films in there i could mention four or five more but i i would just if you fi- if you if you come across a film whose profile is not as high as the Marvel films or the Star Trek films, or Star Wars films, something like that. Just pay it forward. Just just tell someone else about it, because I think that's kind of what's needed at the moment.
0: I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Simon. Thank it's you terrific. so much for being this generous with time. And please tell folks how they can follow and find out about Film Stories.
2: Oh well, I, I, I mean, I bore people daily on Twitter at Simon Brew. And Film Stories is www.filmstories.co.uk, because we're in the UK, at Film Stories Pod on Twitter. I think that just about covers it. You can find everything you need there and magazines and, and live shows. Some, well, we're not doing live shows for a while. Um, but podcasts and everything there, really.
0: Fantastic. Thank you once again for coming Thank on for Filmstrip on. and being a part of this.
2: Brilliant. Thank you. I'd
0: like to welcome back now to Filmstrip, Mike from the Amateur Art Tours podcast. Mike, thanks for coming back on and being a part of Film Strip sessions this time.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me back on, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be talking with you, coming on the show. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really excited to be having this conversation.
0: So I want to get things started because we're talking about modern film criticism here a little bit on on sessions this time in the spring here, and I know you've told the story of how amateur tours got started and you've told that on your your podcast and stuff. But I really want to hear from you what got you into film podcasting and film criticism just in general.
3: Yeah. So and and you know this story as well because I've told it to you and you also play a, a part of this which I'll, I'll get to in a minute. So I started listening to podcasts when I was in high school so it's not super long ago but that's so probably like 2012 I was a sophomore in high school or yeah sophomore in high school and I remember i was sitting in like homeroom essentially and my my brother who was in my homeroom and one of his friends were talking about oh like what podcast are you listening to like you should check this out and I was sitting there asking well what what's a podcast I don't I, I don't understand this <laughs> and got the I, I, well they gave me the down low of just, oh, it's, it's, it's through Apple, it's, it's these, it's this platform, it's kind of like a radio show, but people can just talk about whatever they want. And I think this is kind of when it started gaining traction. I think podcasts from what I understand really kind of started in like 07, 08, 09, like that kind of area, but they didn't start gaining traction until like the early teens, I guess. And so I thought, okay, let's just try it out. I have an iPod touch. Let's just download the Apple Podcast app. And I was super into movies. This is when the the interest in film and exploring film really started coming out. Now, it's still a little, I guess, premature, young, however you want to say it, because I was still looking at film very superficially. And I wasn't really reading much reviews. I wasn't really watching any reviews. I was just watching the films and kind of talking about it amongst my friends, as I think most people start off with. And so the podcasts were my first avenue of really listening to people that kind of knew what they were talking about. So I downloaded the app, and I had absolutely no idea where to begin. I didn't know anyone, didn't have any recommendations. Uh, People were, like I said, were still getting into podcasts. So none of my friends listened to podcasts. And that was kind of the running joke throughout my high school and college years. Oh, Mike and his podcast. He's always listening to a podcast. (laughs) And... That still continues to this day, but now my knowledge is just expanded. So I typed in just random movies that I could think of. So the first one that I listened to was Now Playing, a very popular uh, film critique podcast, and I think it's A Scanner Darkly. And then I was looking through. It was like, okay, well, I really like Stephen King, so let's just no, – no one's talking about It. Let me talk about It. And this was before all the stuff about the remake that came out that we talked about on my show – and this was so I was thinking about the miniseries and it came up and it was it part one and part two and it was film strip podcast. And so you were one of the second podcasters that I listened to. And that was regards to film. A few years later, I found Dana Buckler show and then I've been increasing ever since. But I just remembered listening to podcasts and especially now playing. They kind of had the film critic side of it. Um, Arnie Stewart jacob they all write they all went i don't want to say film school but they studied film at some point in their education Stuart being uh i think he he actually majored in film or something like that yeah and he went then, to
0: film school yeah
3: yeah so i was getting those perspectives and hearing all of that and their plethora their their catalog is absolutely enormous so that was great and then with you guys you guys kind of opened my eyes in that to me, the draw was you guys were average people, you worked average average Joe jobs, but you guys knew what you were talking about in regards to film, and that sparked my interest. Like, hey, I don't have to go to film school or do all this fancy schmancy stuff, and like, I can just sit down and watch movies and then talk about it, and from there it just kind of exploded. It was just like the big bang for me. I just started downloading as many different podcasts as I could. I listen to more film podcasts than I do regular podcasts, I guess I should say. But ever since that moment in 2012, when I listened to Now Playing and, and The Combination of You, I really just deep dived into the film criticism. And I guess it's not even criticism. I feel like that's a harsh word. It's just like the film appreciation, I guess you can say, and that, the film and maybe it's just the podcast I listen to, but it's all focused around the love of film, not so much hating on films, which is very, it was an interesting perspective because then we could get into, you know, the YouTube media where I see a lot more, not hate. It's just more, I guess, criticism. And then the podcast is more about film love. So I don't know if there's a conversation there, but yeah, that, that, that's the long winded way of how I got into podcasting.
0: And that's very cool. And I mean, I guess what you're, kind of the same thing with me i started searching around for reviews and people talking about something i wanted to listen to and i found uh, you a very few number of outlets but i'm talking like 2007 2008 they were talking about these things in 2009, you know, and, and I started listening to these things and I just got hooked on them. And I thought, man, that sounds like something I could do. I'd done a little bit of radio, you know, so we got into it kind of the same way of finding other ones. And then, you know, Brian and I have told the story several times before, but what really got us into podcasting was trying to find a Buffy podcast that we both could listen to and enjoy. And because we both liked the show, but we couldn't find one we were happy with. And we decided just to do our own and then, you know, almost twelve years later, here we are, so uh that that's how that goes but i i want to I want say something it's about an interesting point there I don't think the word criticism is a bad thing. I think it's got a negative connotation because that's just somehow our brains are wired that way these days. I actually think film criticism can be a good thing like I can watch a movie like Heat that I absolutely love it's in my top five you know favorite films. And I can still talk critically about it because that just means kind of slicing it apart and talking about why is this this way or what does this mean? Or you really think Pacino was on cocaine in that scene? You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I don't think criticism is a bad thing, but I do think you you you've hit on something. And that's where I wanted to pivot to next, because there seems to be a real dichotomy, at least from my consumption of film podcasts and film YouTube reviews and stuff like that, where it's either extreme like. I don't want to use the term fanboy in a negative way, but I mean, like serious devotion going to really give you everything I love about this. It's the fans perspective versus the let me tell you absolutely every minutia bit of everything wrong about this same movie. And I'll give you a good example. Go look up reviews of the Star Wars The Last Jedi And you can you can listen to two shows at the same length, same kind of quality, all that stuff and get completely different points of view. And I wanted to get your opinion on why do you think there's such a sharp divide? There's not more of a gray area or is there one? And I'm just missing it.
3: Yeah. and, And going into YouTube like that alone, like I feel like YouTube is a it can be a very positive environment. But you always hear about the stare like the YouTube comment section like, that is the most toxic place. Like, they, they say, like, Xbox, someone can yell at you, but you can mute them. But on YouTube, uh, someone will break you down in, like, four sentences. Like, those are, like, the meanest people go to the YouTube comment sections. So much to the point that YouTube can disable comments on videos uh, if they're getting – if it's – if the, uh, the content provider thinks that the, 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 co- the comments will be awful or even if it's getting to a point. Like, they can just shut off comments altogether. So I feel like YouTube can bring a very toxic environment and and people flock there but podcasting especially I, I feel like it's a more of a a personal interaction maybe it's because it sounds like a radio you're putting uh I, primarily how I listen to it headphones in my ear or in my car it always sounds like someone is talking with me or or they're in the car next to me. And I think that's the big draw to podcasting. But yeah, you're completely right. You can go to YouTube and yeah, Last Jedi is literally the first thing I came up with because I've done a few episodes on different shows and I, about the last, about Last Jedi. And I was trying to get the, I guess, research done. And I would type in like Last Jedi reviews and there's one video stands out. It's like why The Last Jedi is a cinematic failure. And it's a forty-five-minute video about how "quote unquote" awful the movie is, and or you know, red-letter media. They're very—I I like their content. I think they can be very critical, but to to me, they're very negative about film, and I don't really like that. They use the word "schlock" a lot. They use a lot of. Um, really dry, sarcastic humor to describe movies, and while I can appreciate that, that's not why I go to movies. I don't go on movies to dump on them. I don't go to movies to pick out the bad. I even try to, I try to find enjoyment even in the quote-unquote bad movies, like the best of the worst movies. So it's, it's a very interesting idea, and, and I said this to you off-air, off, off air, and I'll say it here, when you asked me to come onto the show and and about modern film criticism, initially, I was thinking, it's like asking me to talk about the universe, and that this topic can be so broad, but to flip that, this is why it's so much fun to discuss, because it's so broad, much like the universe, there's so many different avenues, and sub, sub-genres, and genres, and areas you can go down, but yeah, that debate between just specifically YouTube versus podcasting is very interesting. One I would say is I feel like the the dynamic is shifting a little bit, but I feel like YouTube is pr- primarily focused on the more negative aspects of film or the more critical as opposed to podcasting, which can balance both, but it seems a little bit more out of the love of of film as opposed to just what's wrong with this.
0: Right. And so I I want to ask you a couple of questions about Amateur Art Tours, the podcast. You do this with your brother. You've also had me on and other guests from time to time to review different things. And I kind of want to get a sense of as a show and content producer, Mike, what makes you pick something out and then want to talk about it? And sort of what your approach is as a a modern film critic who runs a podcast. How do you pick the stuff you, you pick and why do you approach it the way you do on Amateur Art Tours?
3: Yeah, so, and that, that, how we've picked the films we've talked about or the topics we've discussed have changed a little bit throughout since we started it, like four or five years ago. At first, Brian and I just wanted to create a podcast and talk about movies that we felt like people weren't talking about enough, or we wanted to add uh, a certain perspective about films that that maybe everyone was talking about. So we talked about mainstream movies and we also talk about movies that maybe were only available on streaming things like that. So I remember Brian and I sat down and we were very ambitious and we made a list of a hundred movies, 50 from each of us. And the idea was to watch these 50 movies uh, or a hundred movies and then talk about it. Now (laughs) we, we never quite did that. (laughs) Um, It was, it was, we kind of bit off a little bit more. We could chew and especially starting the podcast your the podcast especially like if you continue it through for multiple years the episode like your most current episode is more than likely going to be very vastly different from your the beginning and how you and especially with film how how we talk about the films how we approach it what we think is important has changed and recently just with you know life getting in the way we were I think sophomores in college when we started the podcast, we had a little bit more time. We were a little bit more flexible schedules, but now we're adults. Like we, I have an adult job now. Uh, Brian is in law school, so that's essentially a full time job. He's he's law clerking yeah. in the day and going to school at night. I do not envy his life. Uh, it's extremely busy, but finding time to talk is hard. So it's it's we've been shifting more that I've been doing a lot of more independent stuff, but. So initially we were talking about movies that we thought not a lot of people were talking about. It's sort of the same like that now, but for me, I like to talk about movies that in after I finish watching them, I'm like, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about it. And so ideas like me, like recently, things that I've watched, the documentary Free Solo, that – that's that's i already have that written down like free soul is what we're going to talk about because that documentary just inspired me it made me want to get up and do something Uh, another film that i watched recently um oh uh, what was it beyond the mat it was a netflix streaming documentary about wrestling that to me was so cool like i want to now i want to talk about it so right now i feel like we've transitioned to films that just inspire me or tv shows one idea that Mm -hmm. i'm still trying to figure out (laughs) um how to talk about it, and I'm still finishing it up. Is uh, haunting of Hill House because that was a show that had me in the beginning, and then kind of lost me in the end. And and just the emotional roller coaster that I had personally, and with the narrative, is something that okay, I want to talk about this. So now it it's always been what I want to talk about. It's never, and we don't really have much of an, no, we don't have a large audience, so I can't really say, oh, the audience is kind of this is what they're asking for because. We don't have the biggest one, and that's okay with me because this is what I enjoy talking about. And I'm sure uh, like those bigger podcasts like Now Playing or Shot the Movies, they have people have submissions all the time. So it'd be interesting to see how they balance what they want to talk about versus what the audience wants.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's a, a good conversation for anybody to have, but I think every podcaster I've ever interacted with through the years and talked to, they do say the same thing that you said. It's gotta be something that they feel like they can talk about. You know, yes, it may be the biggest movie of all time, but can we really add anything to the conversation? It's a good example. Avengers Endgame last year. That was the biggest movie of the year. Everybody knew it was going to be huge. Right. You know, I mean, all that was happening and We had a discussion like, "Hey, you know, we really haven't done the Marvel films. We had done like one here and there, but do we want to try to do this because it's going to be the biggest thing ever?" And I think Nick brought up a great point. He said, "Well, are we going to add anything to the conversation about it? Because there's going to be a you know a million shows about it. Can we say anything that has won't get said somewhere else?" And I honestly said, "I don't know. I you know I really don't know that we will. Uh, The only thing that we had going on our side might have been the novelty of." having not really covered that series, to sort of just jump in it at the end. I mean, talk about jumping off the deep end and trying Mm -hmm. to catch up on 20-something movies in a series. Uh, And we ultimately decided not to do it because it just really wasn't something that we thought we were going to add anything to. And, you know, through the years, man, there are a few shows. I mean, like now if you look at the film strip uh, list of, of shows that are out there, that's not every show we've ever done. Um, there's probably about 50 shows that are just sort of sitting in the archive that we may never release again because in some it's the audio quality wasn't you know what we wanted it to be, and you and we were early on, and you kind of tell we didn't really know what we were doing. Which I don't know that we know we're doing now. We've just done it a lot, but it's it's you can tell we were trying to find a rhythm and stuff. And some of it is like we would start series, and then for whatever reason we'd kind of like drop them. Like, well, part of it was we thought we were getting to the end of one, and then they just kept making them. The Fast and Furious series is a good example. Like we thought, okay, the sixth one's it. And then they made it, you know, four more <laughs> or whatever. Hmm. So we're like, well, you know, we didn't want to leave un- unfinished things hanging out there. So we have even curated our own list uh, based on what we were interested in. But I think the thing it, I, was, I was getting to is that most podcasters just choose stuff that they they want to talk about and that they they have something to say, even if it is something that everybody else is talking about. So on the other side of that coin, like we did the Star Wars movies, everybody was doing those. Right. But we did them, too, because, you know, Kurt and I decided let's tackle that and see, can we be critical about something we both love? And even your parts of the prequels, which, you know, if you listen to those, he and I will put over more of the prequel stuff than a lot of the shows that you can listen to that do. Um, And then, you know, we, we kept up with the modern ones, too. But most of the time it is just about picking stuff that you like, you know, and I think that's important because if you're not passionate about it, You're not going to – you're going to sound like everybody else or everything else you listen to is going to influence you. And that that was the next thing I wanted to ask you because you listen to podcasts as well as produce a podcast. How do you keep your voice specific to what you want Amateur Tours to be and not let all that other stuff bleed into it?
3: And yeah, that's a good question because I think the – where I can't listen. And I feel like everyone's like this. When you're first starting off, you're like, oh, no, I, I just can't do it. It's we don't know what we're doing, which I like your point of, well, do we really know what we're doing now? We've just been doing it for a little bit while. And and I think at the beginning, we were too busy trying to base the show off of how other people had done it. We weren't trying to develop our own voice and that we were trying to, I guess, simulate what the success of what other people were doing because that's all we knew. So something like Now Playing Their layout is they go from beginning to end. They talk about really pretty much not every scene, but they talk about a lot of the scenes in the movie and they just keep going on. But Brian and I, we tried that, but we talk in tangents for the most part. And that method of talking about a film doesn't really work for us. So after a while, we pretty much critically sat down and said, okay, we have to scrap everything that like all this input that every that we're getting from. It's great to have inspiration and, and to kinda of try new things, but we don't have our own voice. We're it's an amalgamation of everyone's voice that we that we listen to and we're fans of and we want to emulate them, but we with maturing of the show and and just kind of getting a hang of it, we started talking about okay, let's just talk about the themes, and then let's talk about the characters. Let's talk about the director. Let's talk about the background because that flow fits our personalities better. So, and I I think in the like I said in the beginning, we were just letting everyone influence us, but then as the show progressed, we had to take a more I guess direct hold and say okay, we have to kind of block out everything else we can still in- listen to them for enjoyment some ideas like uh that uh that we might want to be doing in the show movies we might want to talk about but we have to figure out what's the best way that, that we can talk about the movie so if, if that makes sense
0: absolutely yeah and that leads to my next question is what's the most challenging thing for you as a film reviewer to to really wrap your your mind around as you're getting ready to put together a show
3: Oh, yeah that's a great question and and I was thinking about this so I guess, I guess how I speak in tangents I think the way I can answer this is the first answer or the first say like what I think is most exciting in that what excites me most about the modern day film critique criticism film community is that everyone can be a public reviewer everyone can express their love of film you like i said earlier you don't have to go to film school to talk about these movies it helps it, it helps add perspective and and give a little bit more credibility to the audience and it can even help the audience appreciate these films in a different way but you don't need you don't need that it's not an essential aspect and but going off of that the other side of that since everyone can many are which it's awesome. I, I love how many people are trying to tackle the film uh, criticism critiques, talking about what they are passionate about. But with that, there's so many people. You have to figure out how to stand out in the sea of everybody. And if you want an audience, and and that kind of goes into I guess the goals of your podcast. Like, why are you talking about this? Do you want to build an audience? Do you want to have do you want to make money off of this? Which I think the answer is no. And you, it's it's like what Martin Scorsese says. He <laughs> If you want to go into film to make money, you shouldn't like, then stop. Quit while you're ahead.
0: Yeah, you it's should be a producer. You shouldn't be a filmmaker if you want to yeah, do that.
3: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, just reevaluating our goals. But, yeah, the most challenging bit is how do you have that – how do you build that audience? Even if it's just to interact with people, that's kind of – after doing this for a few years, that is pretty much my one – of, one of the goals of, of wanting to do this and the reasons for podcasting is to have that interaction and the network with people and, and be a part of a community. And I think now, when I first started off, it was kind of hard because, like I said, we're small time, and that's fine. I really uh, embrace the amateur, the small time, but I really wanted to be a part of something bigger than the show that amateur auteurs was a conduit to something much bigger and it was just a throughway to something much bigger than myself. And I feel like I'm, st- I'm starting to become part of a film community that the Potter and family as, uh, the hashtag I've been seeing. So I've, I've been starting to interact with people on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media, uh, hopefully one day meet, meet people in real life. Uh, but that, I think, is the most challenging, is is how do you build that audience to make connections with people?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I think that's part of the fun of this and this whole community, because I'm with you. Like for when we first started the the show, like I thought, OK, we need to build this, be this you know huge thing. And I realized real quickly that none of us have time to do that. <laughs> you know, like we all have full time jobs. Brian has kids. We, we had other things going on and what i decided was you know what maybe this could just be something that's fun and you know a few years later it seems and this seems to still be popular today and i've listened to some of these shows too but like famous people started doing podcasts where they're either ripping on or having fun with film right And I'm not talking about podcasters that have grown to have notoriety like, you know, we hate movies or, um, you know, now playing, you know, and some of these others, maybe even like Generation Y and the true crime world, stuff like that. I'm talking about like famous people who are actors and stuff like. Specifically, I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, Doug Benson, who does Doug Love Movies and, uh, you know, the, the folks that do How Did This Get Made, Paul Shearer and his wife, Jason Manzoukas and that group. I think that's fun and can be funny, but I realized really quick, like, we'll never compete with those people because they have, you know, notoriety and name that we we can't buy, you know, and, and be. So why not just do something that I have fun with and I talk to my friends, you know, about movies? So, you know, specifically film strip is really built around the simple idea of if we were sitting around at the table having a couple of drinks and some salsa and talking about, you know, Sound of Music or whatever, you know, whatever we just watched. And, and what would that conversation be like? Can I record that? And, you know, people listen to it. And the answer is yes on on every case. So I think that's what's fun about it is kind of knowing what pocket to live in as a podcaster now and as a film critic, if you want to call me that. And just being comfortable in that skin it's it's neat to do that and I'm glad to hear you found that pocket too with Brian and what y'all want to do at amateur Art tours that's really cool man so tell them folks what's coming up on amateur Art tours what you got coming in the next few weeks
3: like I said it's it's now that life is getting in the way it's kind of it's hard to find the time to write and just with all the stress that's going on with uh with current times right now but uh I do have uh, an episode in the bank that I want to release soon with um with, uh, that I had with a special guest. We talked about, uh, I guess, good, bad movies, and we kind of went all over the place. Uh, I do have Haunting of Hill House that I'm, I've am i been saying I've been finishing up. But I do have uh, some documentaries I want to talk about. Like I said, Free Solo, Beyond the Mat, uh, things like that. Um, so hopefully with movie theaters can open again, we can kind of start curbing the, uh, the coronavirus stuff. We can get onto cinemas because I love – Going to cinemas, I love. I'm I'm a big proponent of going to theaters to see new films and things like that. But you know, that's I guess to name a few those those were what's coming in the next few next few weeks, next few months, whatever we got. But yeah, Jay, thanks for having me back on. Or this was this was a really fun conversation.
0: Absolutely, and please tell folks how they can follow Amateur Art Tours and uh, where they can find the show.
3: Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at pod and you can email us with any questions, comments, concerns at Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Well, fantastic, Mike. Thanks again for coming on Strip, and we'll definitely have you back on again for another review soon. All
3: right, perfect. Thanks a lot, man.
0: Well, there you have it, our two interviews. I want to thank Simon Brew of Film Stories Magazine, Film Stories Junior Magazine, and the Film Stories Podcast for coming on, and Mike from the Amateur Art Tours Podcast as well. I think we had two really interesting conversations there, and I'm glad you were along for the ride on this edition of Film Strip Sessions. Folks, of course, you can follow the show on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Filmstrip Pod. Search Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook, and that's where you'll find us. And you can go to Filmstrip Podcast com, and you'll find links to where you can download the show and also find uh, all of our back episodes and, uh, we really appreciate you and want you to stay safe and so uh, please enjoy our podcast and if you like the show give it a good review share it with others uh, we appreciate the support so for everyone here at the show thank you for listening to Filmstrip sessions